Happy Easter, Good Shepherd. I'm so glad that you chose to, to be with us on this great day of celebration. I'm sorry that we can't be together personally to uh, offer words of encouragement and uh, smiles and, and greetings. But please know that uh, you are loved and appreciated and greatly missed, and we're Looking forward to a time soon when we'll be able to gather together personally and worship the Lord together. At Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the glorious victory that he won over the greatest enemy, death. And one of the great truths of Easter is that it frees us from the fear of death. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Easter frees us from the fear of death. And I want to begin by telling you a story. It's a, it's a very personal story. It's a story that has an important part in the shaping of my Christian life. If you have been a part of Good Shepherd for a while, then you've probably heard at least a portion of that story. When I was 21 years old and an adult by the world's standard, I was born again by faith in Jesus Christ. I had been a Christian for just a few months when I took a friend that I was trying to lead to the Lord and we hiked up into the Appalachian Mountains of Virginia about six miles to uh, this uh, to a to an area that uh, was known by the locals as Choo Choo Rock. It uh, its uh, silhouette against the sky resembled an old-fashioned locomotive pulling a a coal car. And we arrived about six o'clock in the afternoon, and we climbed out on top of that massive rock and began to. Uh, uh, take in the gorgeous view and to just to marvel at the, God's creation. And we began to uh, collect wood for our campfire. And as we did, a, a hornet uh, buzzed my head and stung me right under the eye. Normally when I would get stung, I, I would just swell up. And uh, I remember that once when I was stung on the, on the lip that my eyes uh, swelled shut. So I knew that I was not going to be able to stay, that I was going to have to go 
uh, seek some help. But before we headed back, I took a, a pop out of the cooler and went out on that rock and sat down to apply that uh, cold drink uh, to uh, my eye and to take one last look at the, the view before we headed back. <clears throat> but as I sat there, my heart began pounding so hard that it was literally uh, lifting my arm off my chest, and my heart began to beat even more rapidly. I began to have a severe headache, and, and it just felt like that the, the, the blood was just going to shoot out the top of my head. I stood up because I began to feel nauseated, and I was having difficulty breathing. My vision became blurred, and, and, I, and I, I began to, to stagger toward the edge of that, of that rock face. And, and when I realized where I was headed, I, I was able to uh, correct my uh, turn away from that and go back toward the pathway off the rock. But when I got there, I ended up falling off of that shallow side of the rock down into the brush below. And all the laurels there kind of caught my my uh, fall. And as I lay there, looking up at the trees, everything started to get dark. It, it, it was it looked like I was looking down a long tunnel. And as the darkness closed in, I began to think, this must be what it's like to die. And I thought, I'm about to stand before holy God. I'm about to stand face to face with him. And that thought terrified me as a, as a new Christian. And, and then everything went dark. And I, I lay there for about six hours before my friend made it back with the, the rescue squad. And it was about midnight before they began to walk me off of that mountain. You know, at that time, I, I didn't know what had happened to me. I, I didn't know that the severe allergic reaction that I had experienced was called anaphylaxis. I didn't know there was a name for it. I'd never heard that word. Uh, I had come as close to death as a person could come without actually dying. I also didn't know about something called post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. I, I didn't know that PTSD could make you feel like you were experiencing anaphylaxis over and over again. I also didn't know that panic attacks could cause you to feel like you were dying over and over again, but they can. And for five years, I experienced severe panic attacks, uh, fear of death. Uh, I not only had anxiety about dying, I had anxiety about my next anxiety attack. And it was just a vicious cycle. I had no idea that there could be such emotional t terror in a person's life, but there is. The fear of death is a powerful and terrifying enemy. And as I stand here today, the entire world is really focused on the fear of death. I mean, look at any news outlet and you will see prominently featured a graphic showing the number of deaths in the U.S. and in the world from this uh, coronavirus pandemic. And, and what follows in the news feed are the dire predictions of the experts about what the future potentially holds. There are stories about people from all around the world uh, who have contracted this virus celebrities and athletes and politicians and doctors and nurses and other frontline front workers. There are stories about the, the young and the old, the healthy and the unhealthy. There are stories about masks and protective gear and social distancing and mandatory quarantines. 
There's stories about various drugs and antibodies and vaccines and ventilators. And there are stories about how if the virus doesn't kill us directly, it's killing our economy. I mean, it's, it's difficult to find a story that doesn't relate to this virus. And fear really is everywhere. You know, when you walk into a grocery store and practically everyone there has on a mask and gloves and some people even have raincoats, you know, it's a little sobering. Sometimes you just need some comic relief. You know, I saw some photos that someone had posted about how some of the shoppers at Walmart are trying to protect themselves. One person had gone old school and they were wearing a, a paper bag over their head as they were trying to check out. Someone else had taken the, the recommend, recommendation to wear a mask when you go out very literally. They were wearing a, a, Darth, Vader, a Darth Vader mask. Another person was wearing a, a, a party hat over their face. Several others were wearing their Halloween costumes as their official PPE. You know, you almost have to laugh sometimes just to, to get a little relief from all the tension. All our fears end with death. And our greatest and ultimate fear is death. As one woman candidly wrote on social media, she says, quote, My greatest fear is to die. Because death will stop everything. Death is present for all of us all the time, every hour, minute, and second. And with all the news coverage, it certainly seems to be that way. And and certainly this pandemic has dramatically increased our awareness of our own mortality and of our own fear. But thankfully... As I stand here on this glorious Easter morning, I can tell you with absolute certainty that there is one who is greater than death. His name is Jesus Christ, and he has conquered death, and one day he is going to completely abolish death. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 25, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies Under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. There's a coming a day when Christ will put an end to death. And the great ender of death, of life, will one day be ended. That is the hope of the Christian. That is the expectation of every true believer, and that is the message of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this morning, I want to invite you to look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to look at the last eight verses of this chapter, verses 50 through 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This is the word of God. 
Let's pray together. Our Father, as our text says today, we certainly give you thanks through our Lord Jesus Christ for the victory that we have. And I pray today as the folks listen to your word that your Holy Spirit would fall upon them, that you would give them an understanding, an assurance, a confidence, a faith of the truthfulness of these words. We pray, God, that your spirit would lift from us the, the spirit of fear, that you would give to us a spirit of celebration and of joy in what you have done. We pray that you would give us grace to be able to uh, turn to you and find our hope fully in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In this great passage, the Apostle Paul assures us that the hope of the resurrection that we celebrate at Easter can free us from the fear of death. Now, these verses show us uh, three ways that Easter frees us from the fear of death. First, Easter frees us from the fear of death by the promise of eternal transformation. Eternal transformation. Let's look, let's get these uh, verses in our mind one more time. Verses 50 through 53. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. It's clear that Paul is speaking these words of encouragement to believers. Because he says, I say this now, brethren. And he tells us that at the resurrection, we are going to experience an incredible supernatural transformation. In other words, our resurrection bodies are not going to simply be a recreation of the flesh and blood bodies that we have now. Our earthly flesh and blood bodies are going to be transformed or recreated into heavenly imperishable bodies. And there's an important reason for that. He tells us that our our temporary perishable earthly bodies cannot inherit the everlasting imperishable heavenly kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God here is another way of speaking of heaven. And you see, for us to live with God in heaven, our perishable bodies have to be transformed into imperishable bodies. Think of life in this world as like a monopoly game. You know, although a monopoly game reflects life in our world, it's really a world of its own. The realm of uh, monopoly is, in that world, the world's flat. I mean, literally, like a board. It has its own rules, its own values. It has its own properties and utilities and houses. It has its own currency, its own money. It has its own chances and, and treasures, and in the Monopoly game, your life is represented by a token hopping from square to square at the roll of the dice. And the object of the game is to get a Monopoly, to become rich, and to own everything in that world. But if you win, even if you win, there's one thing you cannot do. You cannot transfer any of the Monopoly world's assets into the real world. All you can do at the end of the game is just dump it all back into the box. It all stays there in that world. Nor can you transfer any real world assets into the Monopoly game. 
You can't put down a deed. You can't put down real money. Why? Because they are two totally different worlds. Now, there are similarities, but none of the assets or liabilities are interchangeable. One is finite and limited to the space and time of that monopoly board and to the uh, relative value of its currency. Uh, The monopoly world is just a token reflection of the real world. And in a similar way, you can't transfer any of the earthly flesh and blood assets of this world into the kingdom of God. Nor can, can flesh and blood inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't work either way. So you can't live in the real world using monopoly money. And you can't live in heaven in a perishable flesh and blood body. And for that reason, at the resurrection, believers are going to experience this incredible supernatural transformation. We're going to be changed, as Paul says, from being perishable to being imperishable. From being mortal to being immortal. To be Imperishable or to be immortal means that you can't die. You live forever. You're eternal. You are indestructible, indestructible, everlasting. This transformation is necessary for us to, to live in the eternal, indestructible, everlasting world of heaven, of the kingdom of God. You know, this body is wonderfully suited for life on the earth, but it's not at all suited for life in heaven. Our human bodies are, are perishable. They, they die. They decay. That's one of the reasons we're so afraid of death. At death, as the, the lady said on social media, we lose everything, everything that we know. But the promise of Easter is that our bodies will be raised and transformed from being perishable to being imperishable. Then Paul gives us some more exciting news. In verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now, in the New Testament, a mystery always refers to something that was previously hidden, but now has been revealed. In other words, this is a new revelation. He's giving us a revelation of something that we haven't known before. And Paul tells us that as Christians um, who are alive, when the Lord comes, we will not have to die in order to have our bodies transformed. That's what he means when he says, we shall not all sleep. See, sleep is a metaphor for death. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. And so Paul tells us that when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first. And he tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, he says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. You see, whether believers die or are caught up in the rapture, their bodies will be changed from being perishable and mortal to being imperishable and immortal, from the, from the natural to the spiritual. And this change, Paul says, will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Moment translates the Greek word atomos, from which we get our word atom. Uh, Adam means that which cannot be uh, divided. It's the smallest conceivable quantity. And in the, in the same way, the smallest amount of time, what we might think of as a nanosecond, our perishable bodies are going to be transformed. And Paul likens it to the chain, uh, the, this change to the twinkling of an eye. Now, that's the time it takes for light to f- reflect off l- the eye. In other words, this is going to happen at light speed. It's essentially an instant 
transformation that is going to occur. And this change will occur, he says, at the last trumpet. A trumpet will sound at the end of the church age, and all believers will be removed from the earth. Again, we read about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 16. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. During the Civil War, a group of soldiers had to spend a winter night in in the open field without tents. And during the night, it snowed several inches. And at dawn, the chaplain reported a strange sight. The snow-covered soldiers uh, looked like the mounds of graves that they had been digging. And when the bugle sounded reveille, a man immediately arose from each uh, mound for each blanket, and the and the chaplain wrote in his diary that God had given him a little preview of the resurrection. And that's going to be an amazing day when the Lord comes and the dead in Christ are raised and those perishable bodies are going to be transformed into imperishable bodies and we will dwell with the Lord forever. And ever. You see, Jesus Christ is greater than death. He takes away that, that fear by offering us this incredible reality of an eternal transformation. But, you know, God is the God of change, He doesn't have to wait until the resurrection to change you. You know, he can change you right now. He can change your perspective on life. He can change your heart. He can change your life. He can make you a new creation. God is in the business of spiritual transformation. And when Jesus begins to live his life through you, he changes everything. And ultimately, he will change your mortal body into an immortal body. See, the reality is you can't claim the promise of transformation in the future until you have experienced his transformation in the present. That's why you need to turn from your sin Turn from the perishable things of this world and turn to the eternal God and put your faith in him and let him change you. Let him transform you. And when you are transformed in this life, you also have the assurance of a transformation that will come in the future. Easter frees us from the fear of death, number two, by the proclamation of, of eternal triumph. And in verses 54 through 56, Paul writes these words. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Christ's resurrection broke the power of death over those who believe in him. Death is no longer master over us. And, but death is still our enemy, even for Christians. You see, when, when death strikes It breaks love relationships. It disrupts families. It brings about great grief in our lives. It invades and and torments those of us who are mortal. But one day, when Christ returns, the perishable will put on the 
imperishable, and the mortal will put on immortality. And then will come about the great triumph that Isaiah predicted, when death will be swallowed up in victory. You say, what does that mean? Death is swallowed up in victory. Well, it means that death is gone. That's been totally eradicated. It means that death has not only been eradicated, but all of its past destruction has been reversed. Every life that was once shattered by death has been restored completely. Uh, Not only that, but each body is now far more glorious than it ever was. See, throughout the centuries, the earth has opened up and swallowed billions of people, bringing about incredible suffering and pain. But there's coming a day when death itself will be swallowed up, and all of its apparent victories will be undone for the children of God. Our bodies will be restored down to the last atom, and they will be far more glorious and immortal. This triumph is so certain that Paul actually taunts death. He quotes the prophet Hosea, and he says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now, now think with me about a, a bee sting. You know, when you look at the stinger of a bee, it's a little tiny thing. You would expect if, if that were stuck in your skin that it wouldn't hurt very much. But it hurts a great deal. It, it, it's very painful to be stung. Why is that? It's because of the venom that comes out of that stinger. You know, the venom causes the pain and the swelling. And in my case, anaphylaxis and and possibly even death. But thankfully, I learned that there's an antidote. I learned that an injection of epinephrine can counteract the effects of bee venom. And so I I started to carry an EpiPen, which is just an injection of, of epinephrine. And the next time that I was stung, I injected myself, and I didn't have a reaction. Now, the sting still hurt, but it didn't cause the, the, the harm that it normally would without that injection. And since then, I've taken many injections of small amounts of bee venom that has built up my immunity. So that now when I'm stung, I don't have to be afraid that I'm going to die, that I'm going to experience anaphylaxis. It, it takes the fear out of the bee sting. And that's what Paul is saying here about death and, and, its, and its power. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him, the triumph over sin, over death in Jesus Christ, takes away that fear. And here, here kind of Paul pictures death as a, as a bee that has had the venom removed from its stinger. He says, the sting of death is sin. In other words, the harm in the sting is the venom. In a similar way, the harm in death is caused by sin. In fact, death itself caused, is caused by sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. In other words, we're all going to die because of sin. Sin is the real enemy that brings about death. But where sin has been removed, death only has a temporary impact on our lives, and it actually ushers in the eternal life, the imperishable life that we have in Christ. You know, Paul tells us it's, it's as if death 
left its stinger in Christ, like a bee sometimes leaves its stinger in its victim. Christ bore the whole of death's sting in his body so that we would not have to bear it. And that's what Christ has done for those who've put their trust in him. You see, death is not gone, but its sting, its power to eternally destroy has already been defeated. And Paul continues to explain in verse 56 that the power of sin is the law. Most people believe, excuse me, that they can be saved by obeying the law more often than they break the law. But Paul says the law doesn't deliver us from sin. It delivers us to sin. It's the law that shows us that we're sinners. Our violation of the law shows us that we are sinners and that we're deserving of death. And friend, if you face death without repenting of your sin and turning to Jesus Christ in faith, death will overpower you and swallow you up in the torment of hell forever. You have every reason to fear death without Christ. But praise God, he has provided eternal triumph through Jesus Christ. Jesus has won the battle over sin and death. And that's why Paul says in verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, God has done for us through Jesus what we could never have done for ourselves. But we can't live without sinning. We can't fulfill the law. We can't remove sin once it's been committed. And we can't remove the consequences, which is death. But we can turn from our sin and our self-effort. And we can trust in the victory that Jesus Christ has provided through his death and resurrection. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Because his life was sinless and therefore fulfilled every aspect of the law, his death was able to conquer sin. And he took our condemnation and he gave us victory in his place. How can we do anything else but to thank God for that victory that he has won, that great triumph? You see, the Easter frees us from the fear of death by giving us this glorious triumph over sin and death. And finally, Easter frees us from the fear of death by the potential of eternal treasure. In verse 58, Paul concludes with these words. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You see that word, therefore, you know that this is the application of the truth of the resurrection for believers. And what is it he says that we need to do? He says, be steadfast, be immovable. Don't turn aside from this great truth. Be resolute in your faith. Don't give in to the intimidation of those who say there is no resurrection of the dead. Instead, you should be abounding in the work of the Lord because you know the truth. You know there is going to be a resurrection. And because you know that there's going to be a new life, then you know that all that you invest in the work of the Lord is not going to be in vain. You know that the Lord is going to honor that and reward that. You know, abounding is the idea that carries the idea of of exceeding the requirements, of doing more than is required, of, of overflowing. 
And because we know that death is not the end, because we know that we're going to be, there's going to be a resurrection, we should be laying up imperishable treasure in heaven through our work for the Lord. You know, because of the resurrection, we have great potential for eternal treasure. But what are we abounding in? I mean, it most seem to be abounding in laying up treasure on earth. Jesus said, don't lay up treasure on earth because it's perishable. It gets stolen. It rots. It rusts. It disappears. And listen, all you have to do is look at the stock market if you want to see that. You know, the largest drop in history occurred last month over concerns over the coronavirus. You see, and where do we, what are we hearing on the news about how our economy is, is at the point of being lost? You see, that's what this world has. It has, everything that this world has is perishable. It's temporary. And Paul's telling us that, that if we put our hope in a, in a perishable body, in a, in a perishable treasure, we're always going to be afraid. We're always going to be afraid of death. We're always going to be afraid of losing what we have. Because this world, in this world, death stops everything. There's a, there's a fascinating story that's found in an, an ancient letter. And this is what it says. The Colosseum was packed, the crowd thirsty for blood. Several men and women were roughly herded into the center of the arena. One sympathetic guard whispered to the trembling group. Lions seldom attack people who remain tightly grouped together. And suddenly, four intentionally starved lions sprang from their open cages and began circling their prey. The group of Christians huddled more tightly together. But as a huge lion approached on one side, a young pregnant woman stumbled and fell forward. The lion immediately pounced, dragging the young woman and her unborn child to a gruesome death. Even in the face of this unspeakable horror, those Christians who remained carefully sank to their knees, lifted their faces to heaven, and began to sing a song of faith and hope. As their voices rose to the ears of the Roman general in charge of this event, he solemnly asked a question of no one in particular. How is it that these Christians can look into the very abyss of death and yet sing songs of Faith and hope. A young soldier named Adarinus, who had unknown to the general and others in the Colosseum, become a Christian himself while working in the Christian field dungeons, quietly answered, They say, sir, that is because of the unseen things that they see. You say, what unseen things did they see? They saw the vision that lives in the heart of every Christian. They saw the vision that sustains. They saw the vision that makes all the difference in the world. They saw eternity. They saw God's eternal purposes as greater than their own immediate needs and circumstances. They understood that even if they suffered the same fate as that young woman who was destroyed by the lion, that death in the Colosseum was not the end. Their life was not in vain. They had eternity in their hearts. As the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our inner, outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, 
but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And even when we are at the end of our rope, we are never at the end of our hope. Our hope is eternal. You know, until the Lord returns or calls us home to himself, as believers, we need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. We know that because of the resurrection. See, we don't have to fear death. We can focus on eternal treasures that the Lord himself guarantees. You know, as as a new Christian, I feared death greatly. I was a slave to fear. It dominated my life. It tortured me incessantly. But it also made me turn to God and to, to, to cry out to Him for help. And as I cried out to Him, God began to open my eyes and to help me see in a new way things I had never seen before, things I didn't understand. And I began to understand that Everything was built upon the, the life and the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God began to show me his great love that he had demonstrated through Christ's death. His great love that he had demonstrated through the resurrection and the hope that he was giving me. He, he changed my perspective on what is valuable and what really matters. My focus was on the now, was on the perishable. And as I began to to change my focus and put my focus on the things that are eternal, the things that are unseen, it was amazing how God began to lift from me the fear and to give me a whole new perspective and hope. For five years, yes, I I suffered with anxiety. But God, in his grace, delivered me. And you know, Easter frees us from the fear of death. He does that by giving us the promise of an eternal transformation. These bodies are going to be changed transformed. He gives us that release from fear by the proclamation of eternal triumph. Jesus Christ has won the battle over sin and death. And and he gives us this this prospect of of potential, incredible, eternal treasure as as we pour out our lives into the things that are eternal, things that really matter. You know, I I can't think of a time that I've told this story about my fear that someone hasn't come up to me afterwards and and shared with me about their fear. And I know that there are many people today that are living in great fear. I know that it's a torment. I know that it's agonizing. I know that you want to be free from it. And I want to give you hope today that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can be free. Listen. You can be free from that fear. God wants you to. Easter frees us from the fear of death. Look to him and and look to God's people and God will begin to teach you and, and give you liberty. And if you have never really put your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to do that today. You need to believe in your heart that God really did die on that cross, that he really did raise from the dead, and that he will give you his eternal life if you turn from your sin and you turn to him by faith. It's it's an act that you can do this very day. Turn to him in faith. And again, this week, 
I'm going to put my uh, number there on the screen. If you are, if you have a response, uh, if you want to tell me about your fear, about your struggle, I would love to hear from you. If you want to uh, share with me your commitment to Christ, I would love to hear about that. If there's something else you want to share with me, a, a prayer request, something else on your heart, feel free to take advantage of that. And may God bless you on this wonderful Easter morning.